Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Entrepreneurial Podcast with your host, Jeff Lopes. Jeff has over two decades' experience as a serial entrepreneur, building brands like KimuraWare from his home basement to a multi-million dollar global brand that has sold over a quarter million pairs of boxing gloves. Jeff's here to educate, guide, and drive you on the process of bringing your ideas and dreams to reality with the inspiring stories from some of the top business minds. Welcome to episode 167 of the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lope. Super excited to have on today Chris Rudin. Chris is a amputee type 1 diabetic that holds powerlifting records. He's a keynote speaker and author, and he was on the hit TV show hosted by The Rock, Titans Game, as a contestant. Great episode. Sit back, everyone, and enjoy. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lope. Super excited to have on today Chris Rudin. What is up, brother? What's going on, man? How's it going? I'm very excited. I, I connected with Chris over social media and we kind of just talked a bit. And when you see his history and, and, and kind of his accomplishments and what he's achieved and what he stands for and everything he's been kind of setting forth is, is, is pretty amazing. So I just wanted to kind of hear your story. I mean, I mean, obviously having a disability and conquering and coming to this level where people look up to you, there's a journey through that process. A big journey. Sure. And, and I want to talk about your parents' involvement. Were they an advocate or were they a push towards you, all that stuff? Because um, people don't know my story. My, my son was born with CP, cerebral palsy. And, and it's been this crazy journey where from the first 13 years of his life, I took him from possible wheelchair to running his first marathon. And, and fitness is a huge component of his life. This kid works out five, six days a week. And that is a huge part of your life. So I wanted to take that aspect of it and, and let the audience know and learn more about your kind of your journey into that process. So Give me Chris as a 10, 12 year old, around that age, when, when kids start really realizing in school and start really noticing where you are and where you're coming from, how did you react to it? How did you overcome and how was your parents support and who pushed you into the fitness as well? So, I mean, I was born with a congenital birth defect. Like I have a super cool prosthetic arm now, yeah. that everyone has, you know, but like I, I hit my disability for almost 20 years uh, up until a few years ago. So the beginning of my life, even before 10, um, uh, my parents tried to kind of shelter me in a way, protect me in a way, you know, I grew up in a really poor area and, uh, they tried to put me in good schools, but they like struggled to afford stuff like that. So I ended up going to public school and I realized quickly that I was different, you know, like people made that very apparent and yeah. kids are mean anyways, you know, and yeah, yeah, different as a kid are like, Oh my God, they're terrible. But as an adult, we kind of embrace them. So yeah. there's definitely a journey or a shift from, feeling bad about differences to leaning into them and uh, capitalizing on them, not just monetarily, but like, you know, actually in quality of life. Yeah. But as a kid, you know, I thought I was normal because I had a small group of friends. I was in a super small school. I had like seven kids in three grades, you know? So everyone knew me, they knew me my entire life. But when I switched schools around that mark, um, that's when I was made fun of. And like, specifically, I always mention this, um, I went to a new school and I was around that age where I was like, Oh man, I want to, I want to meet a girl, you know, like how, how, how old were you roughly at that age? I, I was like 12. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I, I finally worked up the courage to ask this girl crystal out, you know, I went to her in front of the room in front of everyone and I was like super hype about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna ask this girl out, you know, my first girlfriend. And I look back and my friends are laughing and I'm like, guys, stop. You're going to mess this up. You know? 
Um, and I turn around and she's making fun of my residual limb with a stapler calling me Clawboy and, and humiliated me in front of the entire class. Um, and that was like sixth, seventh grade. And from that moment, I acted like it didn't hurt, but it, it killed me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I hid my hand in my pocket for almost five years before I put a glove on my hand. And then I wore a glove for 12 to 15 years. So going through that process, so you said it was roughly around 1920s when you started coming out of your shell. 1920 is when I started doing stuff in my life to go for, like, I got diabetes, type one diabetes at 19 years old. So I got an autoimmune disease at 19 years old. And uh, that's when I started changing everything. Like I wanted to get into helping people in some sort of way. So I switched from wanting to be a lawyer just because I love arguing with people to uh, exercise science. Cause I found that I'm just a one-handed guy living in a two-handed world. And so many people need adaptations but the world was kind of designed for a very specific type of person, you know? Yeah. So I felt like I had to create some sort of pathways, not only for myself, but for people like me, one in four people have a disability in the world. It's the largest minority in the world, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but it wasn't until 26, 27, 27 that I stopped hiding my disability and I'm 31. So it's been a very, very, very long journey through that process. Very long, very long. And that's why a lot of people see the disnification of success or journeys. Like it's supposed to be this linear path to success. No, and that's never, it, it's not like that from a wealth perspective, from a money perspective. It's yeah. not like that from an emotional perspective. No one's journey is linear. Fat loss is not linear. Uh, wealth accumulation is not linear. Quality of life is not linear. In the long run, you might see a gradual step up, but in the short process, people have these expectations of where they think they should be. And I, I hate the should be's of life because there's no such thing as a should be when it comes to individualized, you know, paths of life. So I always felt like I should be confident. I should be okay with my disability. Look at these people, look at these people like this, this concept of wanting more, you know, uh, this, I had like a greed for wanting to be like other people, not just money, but I wanted to be as confident as I told myself other people were. When in reality, I didn't know if they were confident. It's just a story I told myself. And the yes. story I told myself about myself was shitty, you know? Yeah. And that narrative sometimes, like I said, it could eat you or grow you as an individual. And the crazy part about that is when you realize that that narrative was always controlled by you. Influenced yeah. Yeah. maybe by other people, but influence is only possible when you allow it. You know, well, influence I, I, requires I'm, I'm, acceptance. I'm a thousand percent agreeance in that. I mean, it's, it's so how it's so crazy how we allow the thoughts or feelings of other individuals control how we emotionally react and the end i love that because it's we're the reaction we're the ones that allow it to happen oh yeah it's huge and there's a massive difference between reacting and responding reacting is like a knee-jerk thing that happens it's a small space between what happens and what you choose to do but responding is intentional and when I was able to shift from reacting to responding, people were like, how'd you do that? I was like, oh, I, I started focusing on more, you know, accountability and responsibility, not just responsibility, but response ability, the ability to respond to anything that happens to us. And people were like, oh, easier said than done. Absolutely. You're correct, but better done than said. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that was a good, that was a little nugget there. It's so true because we always, we always perceive our reaction by other people's reaction. And we're always yeah. justifying our reaction by how other people react. It's this constant gratification, whether it's through social media, through likes, through, through views or whatever it is, we're constantly waiting for the, everybody else's reaction. And that'll kind of justify our reaction originally or how we thought for we sure. should feel, right? So I, I love that. 
Now going through this, was there a stage of like anger built? Like, why did this happen to me and all this stuff? And, and, and I'll, and I'll tell you another aspect of, um, of your condition, which actually kind of hits kind of home. Um, my, uh, my goddaughter has the exact same condition as you. Exact same thing. She was born with this. She's had about, I would say maybe eight or nine surgeries already. And she's only uh, 14. And, um, and uh, Sabrina's, she's always hiding her hand, always putting in her pocket. She went through the exact same. I, I'm, I'm sure a very similar path that you went. And, and, and when I saw you, it obviously hit close to home too, because obviously I've seen this from, from day one with her as a baby. And, I see this anger almost built in her always. Did you go through that stage of anger? And that did that anger actually, in a way, was a, a positive trigger point to helping you change? So surprisingly, I didn't go the anger route. Like I, I felt like I might might have been an angry kid, which could have indirectly been from that. Yeah. But I never had direct anger towards my arm because I numbed out, completely disassociated. I hit it out of sight, out of mind. I hit it from myself. Yeah. You know, and we do that a lot as people, we hide those things. There's always the stuff we say we want to do, but there's stuff we need to do, but we yeah. completely sweep it under the rug. Like, no, 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 not that. And it's that, not that thing that ends up being like the main thing we need to work on. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was, I was more like trying to prove to myself that I was good enough. I just never considered the disability because I didn't want to think about it. It was so painful and so much that I just like pushed it aside, you know? Uh, but there was moments where I was forced to think about it. And in those moments, I actually like did stuff, you know, I talk about a huge moving moment for me was meeting a 11 year old with cerebral palsy. Uh, he was one of the yeah. first clients I ever had as like a personal trainer who had a difference, you know, and his mom begged me to work with him. And I'm like, I, I'm just in school. You know, I got all these certifications that make me sound fancy, but I'm not a guru or anything, you know, yeah. But I decided to work with him and I decided this kid named David and I, I decided to give him everything I could. You know, I stopped treating him like patient 47 and I started treating him like David, you know, how I wanted to be treated, not like a person with a disability, not like a guy who looks like he's in the military, not yeah. like the narrative everyone pushes on me, but like yeah. just me. Yeah. And I worked with this kid and he told me about how people would make fun of him and stuff. And I like, wanted to like kill him. You know, I'm just like, bro, I'll, I have your back. And he taught me so much because he didn't care what people said about him. He was like, I'm who I am pretty much. And he ended up running on the beach for the first time. He couldn't really walk. But after working with him for like six months, he ran. And I was like, damn, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, not necessarily fitness, but helping people kind of find out what, what's their limit in life and how can they break it? I love that. I love that because it, it, we are all stuck with limits. And, and I think a lot of the limits have to do with diagnosis or, or labels, the health or the um, a physician puts on you. For sure. And or society was, too. Yeah, 100%. And that, and that, that was with my son. I mean, I mean when he was, when we, he was discharged at four months old from the hospital, he spent the first four months at, at, at uh, the hospital. When he was discharged, his diagnosis and his discharge papers had a label of CP. And I, and I had to sign them off, and I refused to sign them off. And, and, and that was kind of our journey beginning, right? And, and like I said, he's 13, and this kid works out six, seven days a week already. He's, yeah. he's a complete fitness fan. And he, he's, he's adjusted and understood from a very young age how fitness can redirect or recreate a path for him that society might put him in. And, and I love that. So diabetes with you. I mean, you were 29, you said? I'm 31. When you, got, when, when you were diagnosed with di- uh, type 1? 19. 19. Oh, you're 19. Yeah. 
where was that stage leading up to that? I mean, was this, was this header? Like, how did this path get you there? Like, man, um, I always credit diabetes for the reason I'm not dead. Like, honestly, uh, I, at that point I was running with a really bad crowd, uh, like lots of fighting, lots of like dumb stuff, like drugs and just disassociating anything I could disassociate with. Like that's where the anger really manifested in like trying to numb out with substances or drinking or like, fighting or like anything I could prove myself or to numb out. Like that was like the main motivation every single day, you know, like how can I run from this, but I never wanted to face it. So when I got diagnosed with diabetes at 19, uh, I was like in a hospital. I had one of those moments where I'm like, is this what I want for my life? Like now I'm going to keep doing that same dumb stuff, but like with this condition that I hate, you know, like I don't want, I didn't ask for this, but I was like, there has to be more to life than being this disabled diabetic kid, you know? And, uh, I just started making those changes. Like, so that was like a really big moment for me to decide, like, I want more for my life. And I find that most people don't experience enough pain to make a change. They get stuck in this purgatory of it's not as good as they want it to be, but not bad enough to change. So they're stuck in this like gray area purgatory of life and time passes so fast in that area. And for me, that's what happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm a strong believer in there's something I, I, I preach all the time is living with no regrets. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is we constantly go through this numbness of life. Yeah. And one year becomes two years, two years becomes five, five becomes 10 before you know what it, it just, it flies by. Like I'm, when you're just I, surviving I, the moments. Yeah. If you're just surviving the moments, it's, 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 they pass. Even they when you're not surviving, even when you're living at your fullest, it's, it's, it's life is short. We're, yeah, we're, it is. We're, it is. Little, we're going through a walk on a little journey and, and, and we don't know, when that journey is going to end, right? That's this, the the harsh reality of life. I mean, think about it now. Like how long have you been doing this podcast? A couple of years now. Yeah. So like what, 15 years ago, you know, you probably never thought you'd be in this position 20 years ago. The problems you had 20 years ago were probably so consuming, but now they're not even a thought, you know, it's, it's crazy what we get obsessed with in the moment. And we convince ourselves, this is how it's going to be. This moment right now is how the rest of my life is going to be defined. And it's just not true. You can walk yourself back a year, five years, do 10 you, years. Do you think it's because we, we focus so much on the future and don't live in the present? I think wow. we focus on the past and our fears and we manifest them into our future. So what has happened to us or is happening to us will continue to happen to us. And feelings are not facts. That was one of the best things I ever learned. Feelings are not facts. I feel like I'm never going to get better. I feel like nothing's going to change. I feel like I'm never going to hit my goal. Feelings are not facts. Just because you feel that way doesn't mean they're true. So you need to check your own shit and be like, okay, I do feel that way. That's valid for feeling that. But why? Because I'm scared that it won't work. Okay, that's, that's completely valid that you have a fear. Fear is normal. Fear usually happens before something you do that's bigger than what you're used to. So fear is not a problem. We don't need to hide it or pretend like we're manly and be like, no, screw that. You know, no hustle, kill. What we need to do is address what's going on, validate it. Like, yeah, that's real. But also I know I can do this. And I know if I mess up, I don't get to that goal. I'll do something else. You know, it's not uh, fatal. And if it is fatal, you no longer have anything to worry about. So it's like, what? what people worry about is usually something that they can control and they don't want to because the responsibility factor. I love that. I love that. I love that. The responsibility factor. I mean, I think a lot of people don't want to put the burden on themselves. So I love responsibility that. is painful when you know you're in a hole or you know, you're not where you could be not should be, but could be because of your own choices. Now there are a lot of factors that affect people, people in minority situations or uh, less fortunate communities or anything like that. Socioeconomic factors. Yeah. Just because your 
circumstances that put you in a position like I have a disability and I became a pro power lifter and broke a world record. But my story is not your story. It doesn't have to be something grand or be on a TV show or anything like that. Like what I've done, sometimes your story is just taking your circumstance and not being another statistic. So success is like personally defined. And a lot of people have real limitations. Like I literally can't count to 10 on my fingers, but that doesn't stop me from doing other stuff. The self-limiting beliefs that I created. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a strong believer too, Chris, is, and when I've talked about living the present is, is, and I say this all the time, is a lot of people are so f- consumed on, like you said, the past, because they, they, they think that wrongdoing is going to continue. And I'm a strong believer in your past is a lesson you'll learn from it, you move on from it, you forget about it. If, you, if it's something that's very, it, it, sometimes they're going to be locked in there. You just kind of tuck it in there and every once in a while you might revisit it, but it's locked there. The future, you can't control it. You set your goals, you set your path, just live in the present, look down on your feet, live in the present. And I think a lot of people, whether you're parents or, or entrepreneurs, you're not living in the present, you're not living in the current moment. When you got that call to, um, give me the journey to um, the Titans games. How, how was that journey? When did you apply? Like, how did that all work? So funny story. I did not apply, but I'll get oh, to that. Okay. Um, so I wanted to be a bodybuilder, you know, 19, 20 years old, wanted to be a bodybuilder. I was a skinny little thing and I was tiny. Yeah. Um, and uh, bodybuilding takes a long time, especially when you're a skinny kid. So in the process, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was in grade nine, I was six to one thirty-five, and I started my, and, and I stepped on stage. My, I did three shows and I stepped on stage and I had the, on my, my storyline there. I stepped on stage my first time when I was, 18 turning 19 and I did three shows. Not an easy journey. Very tough, tough industry. It's, it's very tough. For me, I decided I wanted to bodybuild when I was 18, 19. Yeah. yeah. I didn't step on stage till last year. Oh, you have. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my ultimate life goal. Like I wanted to be on stage because for me, body image issues plus like being judged on your body, plus I'm asymmetrical in a symmetry competition. Yeah, I want. I always want to do that. So that was the goal, but I thought it was never going to happen. So I, I pursued powerlifting because I got really strong. You know, I did one thirty-five. I'm like, oh man, with one hand, you know, that's crazy. And then two twenty-five, three fifteen, four hundred five, four ninety-five, five eighty-five, six hundred five. Then is, I hit six seventy-five. This is bench or deadlift? Deadlift, deadlift. So yeah, yeah. deadlifting. I ended up hitting six seventy-five uh, under two hundred pounds, um, and that's the heaviest deadlift of a person with a disability. That's awesome. And I broke a few like state records with squat and uh, bench as well like bench 385 just balancing it on my residual then um so that was amazing you know i did that for like five six years and then i finally said you know what i want to commit to bodybuilding and up until last year i finally committed to it uh and i won i beat every person who wasn't um without a disability you know the normies we call them so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was cool and all but what was cooler is like after that i got in people magazine like a bunch of cool stuff happened and I remember this girl who I love, this girl, Sadie, she's a young little girl. She was holding the magazine open. I have the picture. I can send it to you. She's holding the magazine, the People Magazine article, the two-page spread with me in it. And she's missing part of her arm. And her smile just says everything. So it's I like love it. I love it. all the medals, all the billboards, all the stuff that has happened. That's cool and all. But like to see those moments of, I never had that, you know? I never had someone to look up to. I didn't have a community. I didn't have people to see. But breaking those limits for them like immediately at that age i'm like that's everything to me so uh from there doing the bodybuilding and all that um when i got before you continue keep your thought process there your thought thought um i have a small ear to ear because like from day one with my son it's been a continuous journey where we kind of recorded his whole process and everything's achieved and i look at him and 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 that's gonna be him when he's 19 20 
kind of giving everybody else in the his in in the same narrative as him that 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 glimpse of opportunity the glimpse of joy that glimpse that that glimpse of just i could do it so i love that you said that we need to see that i i I just put a a smile on my face when you said that i mean it's amazing even what you're doing with this podcast like people see you know certain guests or certain messages and like oh that that resonates with me yeah yeah, you know so that that's why it's so important people think their story is not important it is and it's not even the story because everyone has the same story yeah. You went through some stuff, you got over some stuff and there's some more stuff coming. We all have the same exact story, but it's the message that we derive from that individuality. That like, yeah, yeah, actually yeah. So uh, with the TV show, I was doing a bunch of media stuff. I was releasing my book. I was doing all this. Um, and I got a, a message saying that, you know, they want me to be, you know, on this show. And I thought it was fake. There was a, it was like a casting call from LA. It was like 11 at night and they're like, we want to FaceTime you. I'm like, bro, no, this is not, <laughs> this is getting weird quick. You know, I almost said no. And I was like, ah, whatever, you know, we'll see. I'm keeping my shirt on. And, uh, <laughs> for real though, like, come on. I'm like, I'm not sitting on a black couch right now. Like, stop. So, um, I ended up taking this call and we had the call talking about the show and with the rock. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. You know, whatever. They call me back like, oh, you're a semi-finalist for, to compete, to get on the show. I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. I'm like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know? And then they're like, hey, we want to book you a flight out. You're going to compete against like 200 people to be on the show. And I'm like, I still don't even know what's going on. I'm like, for real? So I ended up going out to LA, did this like crazy hard two-day obstacle course. And like, they tested everything from like camera skill to like uh, sprint, jumping, obstacle course racing, like everything. It was exhausting. Yeah. Um, 200 other like crazy good athletes. I'm like, that was cool, but there's no way, you know, yeah. they called me back and like, Hey, we picked, you know, 30 guys and you're one of them. I'm like, for the actual show, they're like, yeah. I'm like, by the way, of the 30 guys, we're going to pick two or three guys and you're going to be on all the billboards with the rock. I'm like, shut up. And that's what happened. I ended up doing the show, meeting the rock. Like he was such a down to earth dude. And then like, after I lost my episode, but like the rock, after I gave like my little speech, which went viral, um, I was the only one to talk after I, I lost the rock came down and like hugged me and he was like all emotional. And so it was, it was crazy. It was really crazy. That's pretty awesome. That is yeah. pretty, pretty awesome. From the time of recording to the time of release, what's the, what's the, the gap there that you're not, a, it's usually like anywhere between like uh three to six months. So you have to keep it hush hush. Obviously. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kind Very of. heavy. Hush hush. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love yeah. It. I love it. Has any other opportunities like that come along after that? Um, there's like little shows and stuff. Like I almost did uh, The Circle, which <laughs> not trying to go that route. But um, for me, it's just been my personal career. My career was the same before the show and after the show. And I had built a lot of my social media notoriety, I guess you would say, uh, before that anyways. So I just continued my same path. It didn't change anything for me. I do a lot of different stuff in terms of like business, entrepreneurship with my speaking business. So the, the path never changed and it never will. Yeah. And how, how is that going with your speaking business? Like, it's incredible, dude. I, I've worked my way up to get in like a very high speaking circuit. That's my main business. I also have a protein bar company, which is cool. Um, very cool. When did that go? All kinds of stuff. What? When did the protein bar company come up? That was three years ago. Um, ended up getting hired as a consultant and then worked my way to marketing director and then rebranded the whole company and took uh, partial ownership of the company within a year and a half. And what's, then what's, we, what's, the, what's the name of the company? It's called NRG Byte. Uh, and uh, it, we've grown like 2000% since last year alone. So wow. we have been scaling really quickly. And 
it's really cool when you have like-minded people like my other co-owners that's type one diabetic he's a chef yeah and uh everything is in the world of disability or uh diversity and inclusion or some sort of overcoming adversity so all of the things i do from like acting modeling speaking writing consulting all these things that sometimes even i forget about they're all in under the same umbrella of trying to help people see their world without limits and Mm. that's just my job you know I love it. I love it. I love it. Where, where do let's, let's talk about your parents now. Do you have any siblings first off? I do. I have a brother and a sister. How was their, were, were, were they, how were they growing up with you? I mean, were they on, on the supportive side? Are they more, were they more to themselves? Like how, like that, that whole dynamic of the family, like you said, your parents kind of, kind of, kind of secluded you. Um, do you wish that they didn't seclude you so much? Like, how was your mindset? Because as a parent, I did the opposite. I'm putting my son in front of every situation from day one. I'd be like, here, let's get it done. And when he was wearing, when he went to finally wearing braces, the first day he had to go to school to wear with his braces, he was so nervous, didn't want to wear, wear his braces. And I grabbed him. And I said, listen, you're wearing these. And it, it, I was, it was actually, my wife wanted him to wear joggers pants over his braces at AFO was up to his knees. And my, and my wife's like, okay, let him, let him for until he gets comfortable. It was, it was summer day. And I'm like, no, you're wearing a pair of shorts. You're going to, you're going to be who you are. You're going to be proud of who you are. And if you don't like them, you're going to work your ass off to get out of them. And he was supposed to be in until he's 2021. And by, by 12 years old, he was out of them. So That's it's up. that mindset of is I never hit him or secluded him from anything. I kind of put him in front of everything. Like let's deal with it. And if it's a situation, let's deal with it. We'll deal with it together, but we're going to deal with it. You said your parents kind of secluded you. Do you ever think in your head that they should have pushed you a little bit more or get you out there anymore? Like how does that, where's your mindset with that? I'm not sure because uh, there's always what happens and then everything else is a story, you know? So I could choose to tell myself a story of if it was different, it would have been better, but equally if it was different, it could have been worse. So everything else is almost wasted energy to think about what could have been because what could have been could be everything, you know, and people exhaust themselves in getting stuck into what could have been. So maybe looking back, I wish more of my friends like would have helped me, you know, kind of like, Hey bro, you don't need to hide stuff like that. One of the most powerful moments I ever had in my life. I was at a speaking event. I keynoted 4,000 people. Everyone thought I was super cool. I was walking down this long hallway at this Disney resort And with this little girl, she was like seven or eight years old. And I always hid my hand. I had a glove on, you know, and she grabs my hand. She's just swinging it as we're walking. And I'm like mortified because like, that's, that's a no go, you know? And she just looks at me and she's like, it's okay. You don't have to hide around me. And I was like, my mind was just blown. And I was like, damn, that moment, like motivated me so much to be like, this girl sees me. Like everyone watched me and heard me, but this is the only person who saw me, you know? And uh, I wish, I guess, more things could have happened like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The way things have turned out, you know, I, I can't. I, I love where everything is. So um, I think it's very important if I ever work with other people to get them in communities so that they're around more like-minded people because that really helped me. And yeah, maybe I wish I had that earlier on, but I know what my parents went through and stuff just to like put food on the table. You know, um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have access to the same type of time you know well if your parents don't have time because they're busy working four jobs you know yeah. they're doing what they can so there's a lot of situations yeah i think it's important to realize there's always access to communities at some sort of level whether it's, whether it's through social media you don't have a phone okay getting to the library some sort of like putting yourself out there uh and that helps a lot of people whether it's entrepreneurships or disability or anything of course or living with type 1 diabetes 
give me a little rundown to we get a good understanding because obviously health and fitness is a huge part of what you do. And, and, and a lot of people do think when you have type one diabetes or certain limitations towards health and fitness, um, and, and you see it a lot more changing over the last few years where like, um, like hockey players, Domi now is, is an NHL player that that's very, very advocated with type one diabetes. And there's a lot of athletes coming out with it. Where's that shift and where's your mindset towards fitness towards type one diabetes and how the benefits are and stuff. So there's a lot of misconceptions around diabetes. You know, there's type 1 and type 2 diabetes. There are other types, but we won't get into that. Type 1 is autoimmune disease. Basically, I don't produce insulin, which helps remove sugar from the bloodstream. Type 2 is a disorder, a metabolic disorder, where you don't produce enough insulin, but you still produce some. Uh, A lot of lifestyle factors contribute to type 2 diabetes, whereas type 1 is, they don't even know. It could be genetic, could be hereditary. They don't know. Yeah, yeah. the best way I put it is I have a manual car and you have an automatic car. Anytime I eat, I just have to take insulin exogenously. Anytime you eat, your body does it for you. So um, technically there are no limits. There are recommendations, kind of like driving on the road. You can technically drive on the sidewalk. You can, you probably shouldn't, but you can, you know? Um, so it's, it's a, it's an awareness thing. I, when I see food, I see it for proteins, carbs, and fats. I see it for macronutrients. I see consequences, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have pizza. Pizza has, let's say 40 grams of carbs, but there's fat, fat delays the digestion of carbohydrates. Then we have gluconeogenesis that causes carbohydrates to be turned into protein, you know, so that affects insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity. Whereas when most people see a pizza, they're like, that's delicious. So, um, awareness, awareness and understanding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, I just, I still eat donuts or still eat snacks. I just take control of my sugars. Sometimes day one to day two, same exact day, different blood sugars. I posted something this morning. Blood sugars were perfect a day ago, but last night, terrible, but I did nothing wrong technically. So you can't take numbers personally. That's really helped me understand how not to see numbers emotionally. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. I love that. And are, are, how is your diet wise? I mean, are you a, a proponent of fasting or anything like that? Any of these? Other- I personally don't do that. Um, I'm big on like just the data of what like science says. And then when bodybuilding, there's anecdotal stuff. But for the majority, I, I take the main main road of like in total caloric caloric intake plus nutrient yeah. balance. Um, and then everything else is preference. You know, at the end of the day, if you enjoy fasting, great. If you don't, don't do it. I don't care how good your diet is. If it makes you miserable and you can't adhere to it, it sucks. Yeah, of course. Adherence. I'd rather you be 80% on track for two weeks, two years than hundred percent on track for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and that's the biggest problem is people don't understand adherence and they don't understand quality of life. So you have to find anything, not just diet, but about life. You have to find a balance in life that you enjoy and then you could adhere to. I love that. I love that. Bye, Billy. Now. I mean, you did our one show. Uh, is only one show you've done? Only done one show. Yeah. 
are you, are you going to get back on stage? That's a goal. I think I'm going to, like, I realistically could have gone pro. Um, I was just exhausted because I did one prep. Uh, then I got COVID. So then I had to do a whole nother prep back to back. Sucked. Yeah. So, uh, but I was like super shredded. I got, you know, I won my class. I got second in overall, which, uh, I was super happy with anyways, the dude was a monster. Yeah. Uh, he deserved it for sure. But I know in men's physique, I could have, I could have gone pro and I want to do that. I want to just accomplish that, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's weird because that was such a big goal and I did it and I'm like, Oh, now what? <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's been a goal for 10 plus years. And when I stepped on stage and did it, I was like, damn, yeah. what do I do now? <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just setting your goals even higher, which is yeah. amazing. Right. And you're still quite young. So where, where is the mindset? Like do you, is next, next 12 months or something? Yeah. Uh, ideally I'd like to step on stage uh, at the end of this year. Uh, so finally getting back on track, I enjoyed myself and now uh, got my business back in place, back in order because of COVID and stuff with. Uh, yeah. 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 That was interesting. Did you, and did you, did you try going virtual? Like where, how'd you, I did go virtual. Or? Yeah. I went virtual and it was, it, it's actually now an adopted model to my speaking business, which is great now that yeah. I had, now they have a virtual, I'm offering virtual workshops, virtual keynotes, all this. So I'm almost thankful that the, that COVID allowed me to add to my business, yeah. you know, but that's what I feel like happens when you adopt things from bad times, you learn something that can benefit you versus just freaking out, which I had my freak out moment, which we all deserve. Yeah. But course. the difference is freaking out and staying there versus freaking out and doing something about it. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love that. Where, where's your, Where's your mindset with when you talk about everything you're saying right now with with the mindset, the shifts and all that stuff? What advice would you give somebody that right now is going through a situation that you 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 went through where they're 19 or in their teens and they have something that puts them in a different category of a difference? It could be anything. And and they're and they don't know how to get out of it or they don't know how to, to get themselves around the right people where's the first shift in their mind to getting to the right track and how do they get themselves in a proper path? So you see this quote behind me, you probably can't read it, but I will say it. We suffer more in imagination than in reality. We often suffer more in our imagination than we do our reality. What we tell ourselves about what's going on is much worse than what's actually going on. My best explanation for that is when I had my, when I refused to show my hand, I was like, I can't show my hand because people make fun of me because people think I'm weird because it's disgusting um, because they think it's gross because no one will love me. All these things I told myself, you know, but in reality, here's the reality. I have a hand. That's it. Everything else is an emotional spice that I added to like season it. You know, I love everything that. else is the story I told myself because there's what happens and then the story we tell ourselves. So First and foremost, you have to collect yourself and say, is what I'm saying about the situation real or is it being spiced up a little bit? Am I adding to it a little bit more? Because guess what? You lose your job. Now you're afraid you're going to lose everything. The only thing that happened is you no longer have a job. No emotions, zero emotions. We add the emotions. So if we're adding emotions that are making it worse for us to get out, we can control that. Easier said than done. Absolutely. But better done than said, like you said. So collecting yourself first and saying, Am I applying a narrative that's going to help me or hurt me? That's step one. You know, there is no external source you can get into that will fix the internal problems that we have with our narratives and that inner monologue. I love that. I love that. So your 
prostate hand, you're, what, what's the capability of that? So this, it's actually dead right now because that's who I am as a person. I forget to charge everything. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but it has like 21 different gestures. It can, it can do a middle finger. It can do like pinching, grabbing and all that. I can put different attachments on here, like a rock climbing attachment. Or so anything. is it, it works on your sense? Like how does it work? It picks up signals on the top and bottom of my forearm because there's two sensors. Yeah. So I can go really slow. I can go fast. I can crack an egg. I have a few videos on YouTube where it shows like okay, stuff. Cool. With it. It's really cool. And, uh, it's good, but there's still limitations, you know, it's not like in the movies, you know? Um, so it can hold about like 50 pounds. I don't work out with it. I made my own kind of strap hook thing that I, I used saw to that. Like I saw those videos. Do you made that yourself? Well, I worked with a company. I had them yeah, 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 designed and customize it. after that, like my goal was to make that into like a real thing, just because I get asked so many times about like that kind of stuff, adaptive equipment, yeah. because most equipment is made for people with, you know, normal limbs. And there's a huge disparity in people with disabilities who don't work out because they don't think they can. Yeah, so that's a yeah. whole another pathway I'm trying to get into. When when did you when was the first um, when was the first time do you actually went to a prostate? What age were you? To a what? When you when you actually went to Ashley to the hand and all that? What age were you at? Twenty seven. Twenty oh, seven. I didn't get a prosthetic arm until I was twenty seven. I told myself if I ever got approved for a prosthetic arm, which is near impossible. Um, because of the way the system is down here in us, um, I would take my glove off. It was one of those situations where I set up a situation that I didn't think would happen. So it'd keep me safe. And then it happened. And I was like, I'm not going to go back on my word. So I was with a girl for four years. She had never seen my hand. Uh, I made a video, like a coming out video, showing my hand, taking my glove off. And I gave her the video. I was like, edit this and put it on YouTube. And I was like, I can't do this. It was the first time she ever saw my arm. And she helped me. I put it on YouTube and I woke up to millions and millions of views and then getting on the Washington Post and like it went viral. So it was one of the best and scariest things that ever happened because I jumped in the deep end and I it, love that. it returned, you know? I love that. I love that. I love that. Four years. Are you still together? No, not together. We were in a, together for five years. She's an incredible person and stuff. But, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, it, was, it was really cool that, you know, you don't get how uncomfortable people can be. Yeah. Until you're, you're with them and you see it. And like people will see me now, like maybe social media and stuff like, Oh, but you're so confident. You're so that you're, they, they push that narrative because of what they see. And that's the problem. We only have feedback from what we see. That's yeah. what makes it bad with social media. You know, same thing with me. Like my house isn't the cleanest right now. I need to clean it up. But what you see right now is just this same thing with you. I can't see what's going on outside of this little box. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people have to understand there's a lot more going on than just what you see. So being more understanding and realizing everyone has their own journey is super important. I love that. I love that. I love that. I actually just, I was on a, I was a guest on a podcast and I just did a post today and I was just talking about emotional roller coasters. We all go through the downs when a lot of people might not realize you're going through a down. And then sometimes that, 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 that moment where you just need to take, take a step back and take a deep breath. Right. And um, it's so, so, I mean, we all go through it. We all go through it. Absolutely. It's normal. Yeah. 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 So, a couple more questions. Um, I always ask. I mean, I don't always ask, but I mean, superpower. If you had one superpower, what would it be? One superpower. I would say. Uh, I wish if my superpower would be being able to see people for their authentic selves, regardless of the the limits that they have up. Okay. I would love to be able to see through the the guards people have. 
I, I feel that, like I, 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 I don't even think it's a superpower. I mean, it's something I think you could build on. And I think it's something I think you've, you've already built on, right? I'm, I'm trying. There's always going to be people who are very good at hiding. Cause I know I was extremely good at hiding. No one had any idea I was wrestling with what I was wrestling with. When I tell some of the stuff I've gone through mentally, people are taken aback. Cause like, Oh, but in high school you were so confident. I'm like, that's just what you saw. So, so when you, know? you all, when you always wore love, did anybody like, what didn't people question it? Then people question. I was too confident. I was too, I had too much of a president presence and too much charisma that no one would dare question. Interesting. That's, that's how much of a front I had. I had like such a commanding presence, but a fake commanding presence that people were like, that's just who he is. That's it. You know, zero questions. Give me your first time on stage. (laughs) First time on stage. Yeah. Uh, That was, that was the moment I knew that's what I needed to do for the rest of my life. Uh, I always wanted to like my secret question on one of my uh, like logins was like, what's your dream job? And I put like motivational speaker, which makes me want to vomit now. But um, (laughs) (laughs) my buddy was running a nonprofit event for diabetes and he was like, dude, we don't have a speaker. I would love for you to come out and talk, tell your story pretty much. And that's what I thought speaking was just telling what happened to you. So I ended up doing that and people loved it. Like, the way I did it, but I knew I could do better. I was yeah, like, of course, everyone loved it, but I knew. So I started practicing the craft, learning the art of speaking, communicating, learning, you know, voice inflection, tone, rhythm, you know, yeah. cadence. I, I wanted to learn how to be better. Yeah. And I, I practiced that craft and being on stage, I realized like I had people's attention and I could help people. So many people came up to me, whether they like cried, laughed, everything in between. And I've had people message me years later and be like, that talk you gave was so impactful. So yeah, uh, that was a huge moment for me. And I decided like, I'm going to be a speaker. I don't think my mom understands what I do still to this day, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure like, I always question like, what does she tell people that I do when they ask like, what does your son do? I'm sure she's like, he's, um, he, social he's media. Great. He's, he's great. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does the Facebook. He does the Facebook. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love That's it. great. If something were to happen to you today, in a few words, how would you want to be remembered or described by your loved ones? I have a, I guess my my take on this is kind of morbid in a weird way, but I don't mean it to be like negative. Yeah. But I personally don't really care about leaving a legacy. I know that sounds super weird. No, that's fine. Yeah, I I care about people doing the best that they can for themselves. So maybe that's my legacy: is empowering people to be the best versions of themselves that they can be and living a quality of life that they're proud of, not that other people are proud of. If I could leave a true legacy, maybe that's the superpower I want. I want people to, to find the life that they're proud of and stop trying to live a life to make other people proud of them. Yeah. I love it. I love so it. many people are trying to impress other people, social media, everything. Like we all get guilty of it. Like I need the best camera equipment so that people will like my stuff better. It, yeah. You know, like, anything and sometimes we even convince ourselves that that's not what we're doing yeah we know that's what we're doing you know we want to impress people which is kind of normal but when you get run by, by that idea of wanting to have people like you that's a level of people pleasing that doesn't allow you to live an authentic like real life and a lack of authenticity does not allow for quality of life it took me a long time to learn that yeah and i and i, and I believe many 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 of us are living through that right Absolutely. Social media exacerbates that idea. And it's a natural human thing to want to be liked, you know, but there's a level like anything. It's good to have emotions. It's bad to be controlled by emotions. You know, 
there's good and bad of everything. You have to realize like, where are you in that spectrum of like, am I living the life for me or for other people or how I want to be seen? Are you trying to control how people see you in a way, you know, versus just existing, you know? Yeah. A lot of people have a problem with control. They want people to think a certain way. I don't want you to think of me like that. Who says you're in control of that? You can be the nicest person in the world and someone can think you're an asshole. It's not your job. Your opinion of me is not my responsibility to manage. Say that again. I love that. Your opinion of me is not my responsibility to manage. I love that. I said that before. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that because it's, it's so, so true because we're constantly, constantly doing the opposite. We're trying to be like Yelp. We are so worried about other people's reviews. We're like, oh, I need to maintain my five-star review with the people who don't pay my bills. Yeah, yeah. That's the story you're telling yourself. That's a narrative you're committing to. And that's a quality of life you're reducing based on your story. If you notice, it's all on you. I know. I love it. I love it. I love it. Control what we can control and focus on what we could focus on. Absolutely. Love it. I love it. I love it. Anything you want to leave with our audience today? I just hope people realize there's a difference between creating a life that other people are proud of, of you and creating a life that you're proud of. And it's great when they intersect, but when you commit to the life you're proud of over making other people proud, that's where real quality of life and contentment comes in. We need to stop being as obsessed with chasing happiness as a final thing. And happiness is a byproduct of quality of life. So um, making sure that you're living true to you and not, the version of you you want everyone to like. I did that for 20 plus years and uh, I didn't start living until 27. I can say that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and I love the, the bare fact that you, I mean, you could sugarcoat a lot because you're doing well for yourself now. So, but you don't, you're very, you're very transparent. And when you, I try and show I've had downs and ups. I've had, you know, it's very, it's so important. So important to do that. Yeah, it, it's really important because I've had moments where I'm like, oh my God, am I failing? You know, and I've had moments where people might see what I'm doing as like really successful, and that's cool, but I'm not doing it for anyone else. You know, I'm proud of myself, and sometimes I want to make a lot of money, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to do a lot of events, sometimes I don't. Um, I'm living the life I want. Okay, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I'm doing the life I want to. You know, I'm not addicted to hustling, I'm not addicted to being lazy. I enjoy building the life that I'm proud of. And that's day by day and moment by moment. I have long-term goals and short-term goals. Don't get me wrong. I have investments. I have cool stuff, you know, but I also know that I'm probably going to go eat a donut and that makes me happy. You know, like, <laughs> like stop, just stop being so crazy guys. Like stop trying to impress people with all this hustle kill stuff. Like um, if you like that, great, but make sure you like it and you're not liking it to get people to like you. That's my point. That's my point. This is awesome, man. This is awesome. 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 How could our audience uh, get a hold of you? Uh, my name is Chris Rudin. So Chris at ChrisRudin.com for email. My website is ChrisRudin.com. I have a book uh, called The Upper Hand. One, because it's a dad joke and I love making dad jokes. Uh, two, because it's about getting the upper hand over yourself and the art of self-communication. And this is a huge message for me and for everyone. Um, and then all my socials are just at Chris Rudin. I love it. I love it. I love it. This has been awesome, brother. And I'm sure we're going to have you on again. And I appreciate it. Oh, for sure. And if you're ever in Toronto, I'd love to uh, hang out. If I'm in Florida, I'll reach out to you. But uh, please, please do. So you said your your coach is in Toronto. So you've been, aren't you? I'm surprised you haven't come down here to try to visit. Not yet because of COVID and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before before COVID. But I plan on once things are kind of like lessen up with that, I would love to come out there and meet up with both of you guys, you know, 
And I'd love to connect you two as well because uh, yeah. great minds, great communities. Oh, 100%. 100%. I appreciate that as well. This is awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap for today. I want to thank our guest, Chris, for taking time. It was an incredibly busy schedule to be a guest on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. Great interview of this young entrepreneur who has such a bright future. If you guys enjoy this podcast like I have, like all weeks, tell your friends, tell your family, help spread the word. We're trying to build something special here. Leave a review. Five stars would be absolutely amazing. Myself, my team, we love spending time reading the reviews. Until next week, guys, keep moving forward.